sense that there's something special in this place this morning. I, I, I have this sense that God wants to do something really beautiful. And um, I get the sense that it's not for everyone, but if you are here, it probably is for you. And um, I think this is a message that is going to be possibly a little bit challenging to the way that we perceive life and that we go through life. But I also believe that if you are able to capture what I'm trying to uh, bring to you this morning, it is going to be a message of great freedom, even though it's probably not going to sound like it. All right, so let's, let's get ready. We're going to be doing a series over the next few weeks, uh, looking at three different groups of emotions, even though there are many more groups, but we call it mad, sad, glad. Just because they rhyme and it's good fun. There is a fourth that I completely forgot is mad, sad, glad, scared, but it doesn't quite rhyme. And so we've left that out, <laughs> although we might come back to it at some point. Um, but we, you know, emotions can get grouped into bigger categories. And today we're going to be looking at the sad emotions, partly because of what we have been wanting to put forward. I think it's also because these, this group of emotions are highly misunderstood. We don't understand sad emotions. Our culture tells us to uh, push sad emotions away, that sad emotions are dangerous to our mental health. Perhaps that may be the message that you have received. You know, um, with last week, our lift talk, I think that our, our speakers spoke really uh, beautifully about all the different challenges, but mental health is not about the negative stuff. It's not about pushing away the negative stuff so that you can live happy. By the way, we're going to talk about the glad emotions, and you don't want to miss that one. That's going to be a really important conversation that we need to have. Um, but before we talk about the sad emotions, let's talk about emotions. Because I think that it's important for us to have some framework before we jump into it. And I want to put forward to every person that emotions are what God has created us with. When God created human beings, He created them with emotions. And when He looked at it, He said, it's good. He didn't say, you are all good except for the fact that you have these Annoying little emotions. Let's get rid of those. No, no, no. Emotions are a core part of who we are. And emotions, because God has created us with them, they have a function. They do something in us. And, you know, I, I've, in my life, I've heard a number of people say, Oh, Nate, you don't get me or you're not like me. I'm an emotional person. And I'm like, no, if you understand what emotions are, we are all emotional beings. But what they are saying when people say, I'm an emotional person, it tends to be a couple of different things that they feel emotions more strongly, perhaps, and or they choose, they make decisions based on their emotions. Would you agree? That's what an emotional person is trying to say. But what we need to understand is that there's a difference between feelings and emotions. Emotions are the natural, uh, automatic responses that we have to the circumstances that we face in our life. Our feelings is our awareness of those emotions or how we, you know, experience those emotions. And some people, I don't know, maybe they really like experiencing emotions and so they feel a lot. Now, feelers, you know, people watch uh, a compassion ad and they are bawling their eyes out. I'm like, mm, cool story. <laughs> I don't have as many feelings as you do. Beck has more feelings than I do. Women generally has more feelings than men do, generally speaking. And that's feelings. Uh, but our emotions and our feelings do give us messages that help us make decisions in our life. But we need to know how 
they are giving us information in order to make decisions. A study was done a while ago, and it was really interesting. Basically, these researchers got a bunch of people to fill out this uh, evaluation of their life satisfaction. So it's a survey, and you go tick, 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 whether they are satisfied with life. But here's the catch. They did it in different kinds of weather. So these participants, some of them did it on like a beautiful like Friday, right? You know, the sun was out. It was a glorious day. The birds were singing way too early for my liking, but they were singing anyway. And it was this beautiful day. And so some people filled out that survey on this beautiful warm day. And then some people uh, filled it up during this really wet, cold, wintry day. All right. And so there was this different weather um, that people were experiencing. They filled out this life survey. And um, that, that what they found is that foul weather dampens people's mood. And when their mood was dampened, so were the scores on their life satisfaction. Think about that. It's bad weather, my life sucks. Bit dramatic there. But that's what people do. Because their emotions that they felt during the rainy day, as they were made to have an evaluation of something else, because I feel this way, it must be true of everything else that I'm doing in this moment. Our emotions don't say, hey, no, 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 sorry. I'm making you feel sad about the weather, not about whether your life is good or not. Our emotions don't tell us that. I always say, lame day, lame, blah. How's your life? Oh, it must be blah. Right? That's how emotions work. And so when we tap into our emotions and our feelings, they don't have this specificity. They don't tell us. They don't carry this message. By the way, this is what this is about. And so the same researchers, they continued this experiment by having conversations with people about the weather before they were going to fill out this survey. And so they said, hey, how do you feel about the weather today? Oh, you know, it's pretty lame, isn't it? It's like so gray. And I was like, oh, I wish there was more sun. It's like, oh, okay, we'd like to fill out the survey. And so they fill out the survey. What they found with this second lot of surveys is that when people had conversations about the weather and they, were, they realized, uh, they had this awareness of how the weather was making them feel, it did not impact their life satisfaction scores. And so basically what it's saying is that when we understand what our emotions are telling us, we don't generalize them to every other facet of our life. Okay? And this goes for sad emotions, glad emotions, and all kinds of emotions. If you are really scared about something you, and you don't know what you're scared about, and you're not aware that you are feeling this scaredness about something, you'll be scared about everything. You'll be jumpy for the rest of your day. You know, if you're happy about something, something really bad might be happening, but you'll be like, oh, I'm still so happy about life, and it's all good, and it's going to be turned out all good. You know, that's what people do. They dampen, they, uh, they, they gen we generalize our emotions when we don't know what it's trying to tell us. Another study was done. I thought it was also fascinating. So a bunch of people uh, were shown... Uh, a film. There were two different films. One of them, uh, during this uh, short, uh, it was just a bunch of images flashing up. One of them had an image of a person's scared face um, that appeared in the periphery of the eye, and it just flashed and off again. They were not. It was so fast that they would not have been able to recognize that face. They would not have been. They might not have been even been aware that that face had popped up in the periphery. 
The other group of um, participants, uh, they had this face uh, pop up right in the middle of their awareness. It was long enough for them to notice I was shown this scared face in amongst all these other images. After they were shown this film, they were then shown that same person's face, but in a neutral position. So remember, they were shown a scared face, now they're shown a neutral face, and then they were asked to judge the neutral face. What they found is that the people who were not aware that they had seen the face that was scared rated that face more uh, negatively than the people who had, had full awareness of the face. So basically, those that weren't aware of it drew some conclusions about this person's face based on something that they weren't even fully consciously aware of because their emotions were intrigued, had picked up something. And that's a really important thing about our emotions. They pick up so much information. They are shortcuts for our day and our life. You know, I don't have to think about everything because I feel things. I feel, uh, I have emotions about certain aspects of life and I, I, you know, and, and I don't have to consciously be processing all of this information and it's still giving me information about my life. That is what emotions do. But... If we are not careful, our emotions will be giving us information about something else that is irrelevant to where we are at and the situation that we are facing. And we might just take those emotions to mean something, to make a judgment about something else. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I want to tell you uh, a, a lot about research and, and what we have learned about these emotions and their functions and their messages. And when we also want to talk about what God says about these emotions, because we need to learn to decode, understand how we feel, what we feel, the messages that they're trying to bring to us, so that when we need to make decisions, we're not just flippantly going, oh, the weather is bad, so I'm going to feel blue about my day. We're actually going to be able to have this sense of wholeness about our emotions, our soul, our intellect, our spirit, and in all realms of our life, we bring it together so we can be healthy. All right, so let's talk about sad emotions. You ready to go? Sad emotions, um, in, that where we say sadness, it includes a whole bunch of different emotions. Here are some of the common ones. It includes loneliness, vulnerability, despair, guilt, depression, hurt, and the list can go on and on because there's a lot of different sad emotions. And we often feel sad because we are faced with a stressful life event that includes two key themes normally. Anyone want to guess what these two themes are? We want to shout them out. Lost, absolutely. But the other one I thought was really interesting. The other one is defeat. Loss and defeat make us feel sad. Makes sense, right? Um, except I think that the defeat one is a little bit more subtle to us. We don't always understand. Um, and we don't really think in that frame of mind that we have been defeated. But researchers have uncovered that the themes of loss uh, or defeat and or defeat are uh, really uh, keys to triggering off our sad emotions. And, 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 and sadness uh, um, helps us to recognize that we have lost something that we value. 
Okay, and so when we face loss, you know, you're grieving a loss, uh, uh, the loss of a loved one, you understand that because I've lost someone that is really important to me. But that can also be I've lost a dream. I have lost an expectation of how the world works. You know, there's some people that say, I want to be a millionaire by 30 years old, and then 30 years old comes and goes, and they've still got $20 in their bank account. There is a certain level of sadness because there's a loss of this dream. However, there's also, in that case, maybe a tinge of defeat. I have not been able to do something that I thought I needed to do, that I thought was expected of me, I thought that I would be capable of doing. So the defeat still tells us something about how we've lost something. We haven't been able to achieve or hold on or, 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 or work towards something that was really important to us. And so that's what sad emotions indicate to us. This is what they tell us. And while sadness doesn't feel nice, without sadness, we would not actually be able to know what we value. And so anyone heard this phrase before, sad, uh, so absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, everyone knows that. You know, when someone that you love uh, goes away and, and there's this distance between you, you've lost that contact for uh, no matter how short or long a season, you've lost that contact or that physical closeness or that uh, availability, you've lost that. And because you've lost that, you feel sad. And the sadness helps you to realize I love that person. I value that person. Now, research is also really interesting because absence doesn't always make the heart fonder because sometimes in the absence, you're like, oh, I didn't feel that sad that this person is no longer in my life. This feels good. And then you go, oh, absence makes me realize I don't love you. That's true, absolutely true. Without sadness, we don't actually realize how much we love a person. In fact, the absence of sadness helps us to realize that person isn't that important to me. It's really quite interesting, isn't it? And so if you're trying to make someone like you by being absent, if they don't actually like you, it doesn't work. All right, quick tip. I'm not going to see this person for three days and they're going to love me more. Oh, not, not necessarily. But sadness helps us realize that there's something of value that we, we, we want, we desire to have. And for whatever reason, in that moment, we cannot have it. All right, so that's what sadness does. Now, researchers have also put forward there's this function to sadness, to feeling sad. And that is that sadness facilitates deliberation and it facilitates goal, um, goal setting. It actually helps us to slow down, to evaluate where we are at and where life is at, and then to make choices around what we want to do next. All right, that's what sadness is meant to do. And so think about this. There are so many ways that we can inoculate ourselves against sadness. And I read this uh, article about what is happening in Finland, which is the, supposedly the happiest nation in the world. And, and, and what is happening in Finland is that people are always uh, on this life satisfaction scores, always rating it, that they're always really happy. But someone on the ground said Finland is also one of the most medicated nations on the world in terms of depression. They are not necessarily happy in a fully uh, objective way. They are happy because they don't feel sad. 
Their absence of sadness has somehow made them think that they are happy, and that's where they are at. But there is a great epidemic of loneliness um, in, in Finland, and, and um, you can do your own research into that. When I read that, I thought it was fascinating. Um, but if you imagine, you know, alcoholism, you know, drug abuse, sex, all of these things, just binge-watching Netflix, just scrolling through uh, social media and looking for memes and funny things. We've now got TikTok, we've now got this, we've now got that. That just it stops us from being slowed down in our sadness because we think sadness is bad for us. But the research tells us that sadness slows us down so that we can actually think for once and think through what we are experiencing and what we are feeling and evaluating where we truly are at so that we can set goals and that we can drive ourselves to a healthier place. But when we don't do that, when we don't listen to sadness, we're just kind of being buffeted and moved on in our lives, which is really dangerous. And so I think it's important that we learn how to listen well to sadness and to describe what that looks like. I want to use John chapter 11 today. Now, John chapter 11 is probably, in my opinion, one of the most human chapters in the whole Bible. It is a really human story of human emotions. And uh, basically, let me set the scene. So Jesus is with his disciples. I think it's that they are in Jerusalem and they're doing some work in Jerusalem. And um, they, they receive a messenger from Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are these two sisters that uh, Jesus uh, uh, is close friends with. Um, uh, the, the Bible even gives us a note that Mary is the one that has anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. She worships Jesus. Uh, Mary and Martha Martha was the one that Jesus went to their house, and Martha was the one that was fussing in the kitchen and doing all this stuff to get Jesus ready and uh, get, get sorry, the, the evening ready for Jesus, and, and Mary was the one that sat at Jesus' feet. So these two sisters are close to Jesus, and, and they sent a messenger to Jesus because their brother Lazarus is really sick. And Jesus meets this messenger, and he says to this messenger, this sickness will not end in death. And so this messenger leaves, and Jesus and his disciples decide to stay where they are for a couple more days. All right, so that's the first part of John chapter 11. We're going to pick up the story from John 11, verse 17. It says, On his arrival in Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles or three kilometers from Jerusalem. That's not far at all. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, pause there for a second. This is the Mary who would pour expensive perfume at Jesus' feet to anoint him. This was the Mary who loved to be at Jesus' feet to learn, to worship. But in this moment, they heard that Jesus is coming, and Martha went, I, I, I need to welcome Jesus. And she goes, but Mary said, this is too hard for me. See, this is what sadness does. Sadness makes us evaluate certain things that are going on in our life. And I don't know exactly what is going on, and through the story, we're going to read a bit more about Mary, but maybe she is actually evaluating, how do I want to respond to Jesus? Because this situation is pretty crappy. Jesus sent messengers back saying, this sickness will not end in death. Yet my brother is now in a tomb, and now Jesus has the guts to walk into our town Four days after he died. And you want me to?
to go greet him? I don't know if that's what Mary was going through, but that sounds like a person who was grieving to me. Let's see what Martha does, and let's see how Jesus interacts with her. And so verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it's a really confusing statement, isn't it? It's kind of like, eh, what? That, that, I don't know if there's sass in her voice. I kind of think that there's a bit of sass, a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of like a, what do you think you're doing? In her tone, there's one moment where she's accusing Jesus, literally saying, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe there was something in her though that was like, hang on, but this is Jesus, right? This is Jesus. I know Jesus. And so if you ask for anything, I know that God's going to give it to you. But you could have been here and you weren't, but you're still a miracle worker. But... Sadness throws us into this place of deliberation that quite often feels extremely confusing and problematic because we are faced with two different statements of reality that we believe that do not work well together. When we lose something or when we feel defeated, we often are faced with a situation where there are two ways of describing it and they both are right, but they don't play well together. Jesus could have saved my brother and he still can save my brother, but my brother is dead. How are we supposed to face the reality of the situation when there is no box for it? Sadness does this, and that's why we don't like sadness. That's why we don't want to have sadness, because sadness feels like there is a prize, uh, a, a boxing match going on inside of our brains and inside of our hearts, and it hurts. But I love the courage of Martha that she comes to Jesus and she accuses and worships him at the same time. It's like, you should have been here, but you're still all powerful. I don't, how do you... She does something that I think we need to learn from, that yes, there is confusion. We don't worship Jesus because Jesus makes sense. We don't just worship Jesus with the way that we understand Him. We also worship Jesus in the ways that we don't. And that's why I love what Beck was writing in the song, that hang on, what is this all about? Is this something bigger? Because I think it should be, but right now I'm not so sure. If this is just something I'm going to have to put up with and live with, I don't know. And so let's see what Jesus says to her. Jesus, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, when we're in the middle of processing our sadness, one of the greatest enemies or one of the greatest daggers in that moment is hope. And I'm going so far as to say when we don't have hope or when we are pushing away hope, it's likely because there's some sort of sadness that you have not processed fully yet. In the middle of our sadness, it's extremely hard to have hope. 
Why? Because sadness is related to our loss or defeat and or defeat. Hope is about us gaining something or being victorious in some way, shape or form. But because presently in my sadness, my loss and my defeat is before my eyes, telling me that I'm going to gain something, telling me that I'm going to rise uh, beyond the situation is dangerous. It's scary. It's like, it's, it's opening up myself again to the possibility of further loss and or defeat. And so when we get into that place where we are faced with hope in the middle of sadness, we tend to hedge it and we say, yeah, 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 I, I, I know. It's just not for me right now. If you are in that place, listen to me, please. Sadness is speaking to you. Sadness is in your heart and is wanting to be heard. So Master just says, yeah, 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 I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus pushes through and pushes on and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, this is one of the things I've learned about sadness and grief and processing is that in the middle of our sadness, if we don't have someone else to bounce off these confusing thoughts with. Then last week we heard from Adrian the beauty and the power of community. This is a similar thing. When we don't have someone else to talk to, we don't have anyone to challenge us on our beliefs. So Jesus takes this moment and he asks Martha, in the midst of all of this that is going on, what is it that you really believe? Because our sadness is actually challenging our perception, and our beliefs. Sadness challenges our beliefs. Sadness challenges our values. Sadness tells us your values have not protected you well enough. Sadness tells us maybe you should be a little bit more protective and cautious about your life. Sadness tells us there's more to fear in the world than you are ready for. So why don't you put on your little shell and live in your little bubble because you don't want to be hurt like this again? And in the midst of that, Jesus says to Martha, what do you believe about the person that is standing in front of you? And to Martha's credit, verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. In the midst of a sadness with this challenge that is coming from Jesus in a gracious, loving way, she goes, hang on, I've lost my brother but that doesn't stop God from being God. I've lost my brother and it's hard because it feels like, God, you could have done something in the midst of it, but that doesn't stop you from being God. And, 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 and articulating her belief in Jesus was a part of her processing. This is something that is 
extremely interesting. I've been studying uh, uh, trauma and growth over the last year as part of my uh, studies. And one of the things that popped up to me that was so interesting is that, that people in the midst of real struggle and real negative situations, that is an awesome, awesome opportunity to grow. But how these people grow often is by actually articulating what they now believe based on what they've been going through. When you don't articulate and speak about what you believe, it tends to be that you slide back into old assumptions and old ways of living. But for Martha, this moment where Jesus was standing in front of her and said, do you believe in me? She said, yes. Maybe there was a part of her that said, I, I'm struggling to, but I am going to. I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the prophesied one. You are bringing restoration to the world. You are bringing kingdom here and I need to hold on to you. And she articulating that was part of a healing process, I believe. And I say that because this is what she does. The very next verse, verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary. And she said, the teacher is here and is asking for you. See, Martha knew why Mary didn't want to go to Jesus. Yeah? Sisters know each other. And they're kind of like, oh, I know, you're in a bad place. I'll go. I'll do this for you. Even though I'm also struggling, but I'm going to look after you. Martha is maybe, you know, big sister. She's the one that, that is a bit tougher and stronger. Mary is a softie. And so she's like, Mary, I'll do this for us. Don't worry. You keep crying here. That's fine. But she meets Jesus, and Jesus speaks into the middle of her sadness and brings up this new hope. And she goes, my sister needs this. And so she goes back, and she says to Mary, the teacher is here. Now, Jesus did not in that uh, exchange say... Um, can you go get Mary for me? She didn't say that. He didn't say that. And I think Martha is going, I know what is going to get Mary off her bum and to go meet Jesus. The teacher is asking for you. And to her credit, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When, Jesus, sorry, when Mary reached a place where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder whether Mary didn't want to go to Jesus because she still knew that Jesus was God. And in the midst of her sorrow and defeat, she didn't want to worship Jesus. This was a woman who poured out expensive perfume that would have cost her a year's salary just to worship this Jesus. She knew the value of Jesus and she knew that being in Jesus' presence would mean that there would be something in her that would be compelled to worship. And so she said, I don't want to see him because he's not deserving of my worship in this moment and I don't want to fall at his feet. I don't want to be able to say you are good because right now I really don't think that he is. That's what sadness does to us. It drives us away from God because really in the moment, it's like it's too hard to worship. It's too hard to still acknowledge the goodness and the grace and the love of God. It's too hard. But what she did was a compromise that we can all do. She fell at Jesus' feet in worship, in submission, but she still tried to stab him. And I said, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. Now did Jesus reply, 
you sinful, doubtful, unbelieving woman, go back to where you came from and try that again. I don't know why some of us think that God can't deal with our barbs and our difficulties. Sometimes we think that God will strike us down where we are if we say anything that is not right about His goodness and His grace. We, I don't know, we think that Jesus is a thought police. We think that Jesus is, is, is the dictator that is looking out for ways to chuck us into prison when Jesus was there in that moment and this woman falls at His feet and, he, and she says what she says and this is what Jesus said when Jesus saw her weeping. Verse 33, and the Jews that come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Now we will quickly find out that Jesus' troubledness isn't because he had trouble with Mary's sadness, but that he was empathizing with his sadness, which was manifested in this troubledness. And I think that's actually a really great description of what sadness feels like. It's feeling troubled. I'm troubled by this situation. I'm troubled because I'm scared of losing more than I'm willing to lose. I'm troubled because I don't know what this means about my future. I'm troubled because I don't know what this means about me. And Jesus, in that moment, seeing Mary, he empathized and felt what she was feeling and he cared. What a beautiful thing. If you think that God can't deal with your sadness, God's the only person who can deal with your deepest, darkest sadness. If you think that you can't articulate how you're feeling to Jesus, Jesus already knows how to feel. Jesus knows how you feel possibly more than you do because sometimes we don't want to feel what we are feeling because it's too scary to feel it. But Jesus is there and he empathizes and he knows. Verse 34, he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now, spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. All right, if any of you are kind of like, oh, what's going on? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay, that is a happy ending. But this happy ending then makes Jesus crying at the tomb really, really weird. If any of you knew, right, that you were going somewhere to perform an amazing miracle where a dead man's going to rise, how many of you are going to go to that funeral to have a cry first? <laughs> it makes zero sense that Jesus would still cry. And not just cry, he wept. He mourned. He grieved. Jesus allowed the sadness that he was empathizing with to be expressed in this moment, which I think is something that we need to learn today. Sadness is not meant to be pushed aside. Sadness is meant to be expressed because when we express the sadness, we are slowing down. We are allowing ourselves to deliberate and to think and to see what is going on. Without that, the sadness is locked up, and we are seeing the whole world through the lens of that sadness. Let me just give you this analogy. Sadness is like a balloon. 
it magnifies and it grows in the situation that we are in. And it's also kind of annoying because sadness is just there. It doesn't do much. It has no purpose, but I have to hold the stupid nip because if I don't, it makes really stupid noises as I'm going through my day and my life and everyone's kind of like, you're leaking emotions. <laughs> Isn't it? And I'm like, who fought it? And sadness leaks out of us and we're like, oh, oh. And so we try to hide it, but we, we, we still, it's still there. And it's really annoying, and we try to go about it, but at the same time, we're worried that it's going to pop and scare the bejesus out of us. <laughs> Sadness is like this balloon that has been filled up because of the situation that I'm in. And when we don't do anything about it, it's there. And as you go about your day, it's like, how are you feeling about life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of sucks. And I do you like that guy? No. No. That guy's pretty lousy. We're not good at dealing with this. When Jesus wept, he humbled himself and he gave space for the sadness to go and for it to be in a more convenient spot. He didn't get rid of it. He didn't suppress it. He let it out. I think that's extremely important. And notice this, when Jesus wept, the people around him that observed him, some were like, wow. And some were like, oh. Isn't that the way that we go about with our sadness? Some people will be like, I see your loss. Other people are like, come on, get over it already. Shouldn't you have done something more about that? Sadness is not greatly understood in our lives. And sometimes what they do tries to control how I express my sadness or whether I feel safe to express my sadness. But Jesus shows us that in the middle of the crowd, the sadness he felt was still worth expressing. Because if we don't, the sadness stays with us and colors everything else. I don't know what is it in your life that you need to be sad about or that has caused you sadness. But I know this as a fact that all of us experience things that cause us loss or defeat. Let me just say, I think the defeat one is actually a lot harder for us to acknowledge. We don't see it as defeat. We see it as reality. It's not good enough. I just don't have what it takes. This is who I am. Is that God speaking to you and defining you? Or is that your sadness speaking to you and defining you? When we allow sadness to just stay, hope has no space in our lives. 
Hope is no space in our hearts. Hope is no space in our future. And we start to shrink because our sad balloon is taking up so much space. Sadness is not an emotion to squash. Sadness is an emotion that we allow. Sadness is an emotion that gives voice to things that are deep on the inside that we are scared to admit. And as we allow that voice to be heard, that's where there is healing and resurrection. If we can get the band up this morning. I'm not a great expressor of sadness. I don't have this well in my life. I'm a, if I had to describe myself, I think I'm a fighter who just doesn't give up. And so when I feel sadness, I feel loss, I feel defeat, I tell myself I just have to try harder next time. And I've learned that sometimes you hit a wall when you do that. I've learned that sometimes in the midst of that, I get to a place where it's like, I don't know what else I can do. I've got no control over this. And I'm scared. And I don't know how things are going to turn out. I don't know what to do about this. But in the midst of all of that, I have learned that the best place to express my sadness is with safe people I know, but primarily with a God who loves me. The Bible talks about this practice called lament. We did this a little while ago at an upper room. And if you've never lamented before, I have a sneaky suspicion. And I'm not saying that there's a spe specific way to do it or a specific space that you need to be in. But if you've never lamented before, you have sadness dictating to you how your life should look like. God's voice is drowned out because the sadness is so much louder, so much more obnoxious, so much more confusing. But when we bring it to Jesus, we go, it's just a balloon filled with air. Over time, just letting it out, and he's able to deal with it. What does lament look like? Lament is feeling our sadness and running to Jesus. Lament is acknowledging that there has been loss or defeat and still running to Jesus. That's all that lament is. It's being vulnerable and open, which is scary. After you've suffered loss, after you've suffered defeat, to open up, it's difficult. But when we lament, we bring it to Jesus, just like Mary, just like Martha did. They ran to Jesus. They worshipped Him. They allowed Him to see the doubt. They allowed Him to see the difficulties. They allowed Him to see the troubledness that they were experiencing. And in the middle of it, they found hope. In the middle of their worship and their pain, they found hope. In the middle of their sadness, in the middle of their grief, in the middle of their loss, they found hope because they found the author of hope. They found Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They found a God who loves them and a God of grace. They found a God who might not be explaining in the way that you want it to be, but He is still able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. He 
is still the one that who is able to hold every tear, every heartache, every brokenness in my life, and He's still able to make something out of it. And so when I'm sad, when I've suffered loss, when I've suffered defeat, I need to run to Jesus no matter how much it feels like it's going to cost me. And in that moment, He's able to turn my mourning into dancing. He's able to turn death into resurrection. He's able to turn all of that around for the purposes of His kingdom. So this morning, I think this is where you need to be honest with yourself. And I'm not going to force you to do something that you're not ready to do. But I hope that as the band leads us in this song, that you will be able to run to Jesus and go, what about this? What about this thing that I can't quite get a grasp on? What about this thing that hasn't made sense to me? And in the middle of that, you'll be able to hear God's voice. And hopefully it brings some calm to the storm. But even if the storm is still raging, that you'll find a confidence to say, God, you are the God of this storm. And I'm going to trust you in the middle of it. I'm going to close. I'm going to pray. And as the band leads us, if you want to worship, you worship. If you want to run forward and fall to your knees because that's what you know you need to do, go for it. If you want one of us to stand with you in prayer, we're going to be here with you. I just pray that you're not going to allow sadness to govern your life, to cloud your judgment, and to take up more space in your life than it needs to. But at the same time, you respect it and you give it the space to be expressed. Can we stand? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you reveal yourself as comforter, that you say that you've come to bind the brokenhearted. You've come to set the captive free. And so for every person that is struggling in that place, with every person that maybe sadness has been banging on the door of their heart saying, I need to be heard. And there is fear that is stopping them from doing so. God, I pray for boldness right now. I pray that there will be this commitment to step forward in their hearts and allow you to bring healing and wholeness. I pray that we learn how to have a better relationship with sadness, that before we get so big, it feels like it's going to blow up. We learn how to constantly be coming to you and allowing you to bring calm to our storm. So we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.